Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jer McCarthy. On this week's show, I interview two Cork LGFA senior stars, Laura O'Mahony and Melissa Duggan, ahead of Shane Renane's side's TG Cahar All-Ireland LGFA semi-final showdown with Dublin in Semple Stadium on Saturday night. I also reviewed the recent Cork LGFA County League finals involving a host of clubs from all four divisions. Munster women's rugby expert Wendy Keenan has details of the 2023 Munster women's inter-pro squad announcement, how the Munster under-17 and under-18 women's teams fared in recent games, positive results for the Irish under-18 women's sevens, and the Tag World Cup coming to Limerick. Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley is back on the Big Red Bench to review the Hungarian Grand Prix. We get all the latest news on Red Bull, McLaren and Mercedes following another action-packed Grand Prix weekend. And Sarah previews the upcoming Belgian Grand Prix. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. On Saturday, the 29th of July, 2023, the TG Cahar All-Ireland Senior Football Championship semi-final doubleheader takes place at FBD Semple Stadium in Thurles. The curtain raiser at five o'clock is a cracking matchup between Kerry and Mayo, but that's followed at half past seven by Cork versus Dublin. A fantastic occasion for ladies football fans all over the country. Both matches are live on television, but obviously we're hoping and looking forward to Cork versus Dublin. And ahead of that crucial clash with Mick Bowen's side, I caught up with two players from the Cork senior panel who've had very, very good years so far. They are O'Donovan Ross's Laura O'Mahony and also Dohany's Melissa Duggan. I spoke to the two girls about this big match against Dublin coming up on Saturday night. We're going to hear from Melissa Duggan about her fantastic season in the full back line for the Rebels. But first, it's a Donovan Rossa and Cork senior, Laura Mahoney. Now, I am delighted to be joined here on Cork's Red FM's big red bench by Cork LGFA senior footballer and O'Donovan Rossa stalwart Laura O'Mahony ahead of the Rebels All-Ireland Senior Football Championship semi-final showdown at Semple Stadium with none other than Dublin. Laura, you're very welcome to the big red bench. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Um, we've been talking a lot about Cork LGFA following Cork LGFA throughout the season. Um, you've now reached an All-Ireland semi-final, which is fantastic for you and the group of players. Easy one to start. How have preparations gone in the build-up to this particular game? Because it's it's the biggest one of the season and it's the dubs. Yeah, exactly. I think every training that we go out, we just try and focus on what we need to improve on. Um, but especially I think we need to focus on what we've done well as well and try and mix the two together. So every training we go out and we just try and practice those, listen to Shane and the lads. Um, yeah. You've um, you've had your share of injuries, which we don't want to go back over, but you've been injury-free most of, if not all of this season, and you've gotten a run in the team. You you played down in Clonakilty against uh, Tipperary earlier on in the championship and you were up in Armagh as well uh, recently in, the, in the, that really impressive win against Armagh in the All-Ireland quarterfinals. Obviously, you're delighted uh, to be back in the team, but it's a hard team to get into. And I would imagine once you get in, it's even harder to stay there, such as the competition for places. Yeah, exactly. You said it there. Um, I think at the start of the year, I kind of struggled with a small bit of injury and college in the mix as well with final year. But um, thankfully, I um, played like in Clon, like you said, and up in Armagh last week. Um, and I, like you said, I think it's just about trying to stay in there. But 
honestly, it's not about the 15. It's not even about the 20 that play on the day. It's about the girls that are pushing us on and training every week as well. It's about the 30, 35 that we have, especially when we're getting the injuries. We've had two ACLs and a collarbone already in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, like the Cork senior team, much like the Cork Camogie team, has had its fair share of, of knocks this year, more so than ever. Um. Am I right in saying training and the matches and training are pretty intense because Shane seems to put, Shane Renee and the Cork manager seems to put a lot of emphasis on who's going well in training. That seems to where where you've emerged um, over the last couple of matches and stuff and your consistency has been, has been rewarded. Yeah, I think that's something that Shane does well. He always focuses on who's doing well at training and gives everyone equal opportunity. And I think if you train hard, you train well um, and just give no reason not to be playing. Um, we mentioned the All Ireland quarter final victory that you you got up in the box the box stadium above in Armagh. You stayed the night before you travelled up to Dundalk the night before the entire panel. Um, thanks to the Cork LGFA County Board, and then you were able to just you know travel across it, take about an hour or so, whatever it was, to get to Armagh on the day itself. Um, what was that weekend like, and how important was it? I suppose to have time both going up, staying overnight, and then coming down before we ever talk about what happened on the pitch. Yeah, I think like you said, um, we're very grateful and thankful to the Cork um, County Board for facilitating it. I think we're in a very um, good position that we were able to go up and stay, especially with the long journey. And I think it did stand to us like bonding, even the dinner the night before and just having the chat with the girls before the match. I think that bit more time together made us a bit closer before the game. Um, the match itself, Armagh and the Mackins, not just the Mackins, but they're a very, very strong team. They were going really, really well this year, which we, we've covered on the Big Red Bench over previous weeks. Division 2 league champions, um, a team that's on the up. But how difficult were the conditions? Because even on television, it looked quite windy up there. But how difficult were the conditions and how difficult was it a match for you from a defender's point of view? Yeah, they were difficult even with the wind and then it would be raining and then sunny one day or one minute, um, raining and sunny every so often. But I think it was difficult for both teams. Um, so, yeah. How much of a boost was it coming home with that victory, knowing that she'd reached the all semi semifinals after last year and losing out to Mayo at the same stage? Yeah, exactly. Like, we haven't got to this um, stage since 2021. So the fact that we got one step closer than last year I think was a big boost and especially with the long journey home it made it a lot easier coming back thinking we had the gym on Monday night instead of going home. <laughs> the gym on Monday night that sounds a bit ominous how have those gym sessions been going are they tapering off now or are they as, t- as intense as ever? Um, yeah they're grand um, I think the gym has been going very well for us this year as well um, it's, we've been doing it more consistently and Paul has been helping us with it as well so that's a good step. Are you one of those players that likes the gym sessions or do you prefer the ball in your hand to be careful though because Paul will be listening? Um, bit of both, <laughs> but I'd say that I am one of the smaller players. So as much as I would say that if I do like it, I think it helps me anyway. Very political answer and right down the middle. Well done, Laurie. You haven't offended anyone with that answer. We're here on the big red bench with me, Jeremy McCarthy, speaking to O'Donovan Ross and Cork LGFA senior footballer Laura Manny ahead of this weekend's All-Ireland Senior Football Championship semi-final at Semple Stadium. Doubleheader, half-seven throw-in for Cork and Dublin. I mentioned half-seven throw-in there, Laura. Um, you know, Cork's most of Cork's matches this year have either been early afternoon or maybe late afternoon on one occasion, all right, uh, because of TV. It needed to be later. Like, from an intercounty player's point of view, do you prefer it being earlier in the day or do you just have a set routine, you know, for when the throwing is so late in the evening? That's a long day and a long lead into it. Does it bother you or do you just, do you have, you have, do you have a routine for one of those days when, when the throwing is so late, like half seven? 
Um, I suppose you can't let it bother you too much um, because, again, we only have the one chance to play the game. It's the same for both sides. Um, they'll be travelling probably just as much as we will. Um, I think you just kind of have to stick to your routine as best as possible. Um, talk to the nutritionists and talk to the lads and see what needs to be changed to our routine. But um, even with club games, we train at seven, half seven, so it shouldn't be too much different. Yeah, that's an interesting point, I suppose, from like your, your body clock as well, working at that time and the mechanics and the muscle memory. I mean, playing training at half seven in the evening and then playing at half seven shouldn't be an issue. But it is quite a long day, and the fact that it's a double header, there's another game before, I suppose. Do you find it easier to focus when the throwing is earlier, or you just have to work harder to be zoned in when it's such a late start? Yeah, I think you just have to have a certain stage where you click on and think about the game. Um, it might be a bit later than a normal two o'clock throw in, but same rules apply really. Excellent stuff. Now, facing you in this All Ireland semi final are a familiar foe, Dublin. You played them back in the Lidl uh, LGFA National League Division 1 back in February down in Park Ring. Hugely entertaining game, high scoring 315 to 411 loss. But not that you needed reminding that day, Laura. This is a Dublin team that after that just missed out on a league final by a point missed out between Kerry and Galway who contested that league final went on to win the Leinster final by beating Meath 299 points and have since then put up impressive scores against Cavan um, and most recently against Stony Gall 8 goals in 2 games if I mentioned to you as a defender the likes of Kate Sullivan Neath Hederton Hannah Tyrrell Sinead or maybe a better stop this is one of the most talented forward lines you could face at any stage of the season they are unbelievably talented they're also like Scarrow experienced how big a task is this for you not just as the defenders but Cork heading into the weekend you've played them before yourself they're an incredibly fit incredibly well organised and well coached team this is your toughest game of the season I would imagine yeah look um, um, any of the other three teams that we've played or any of the other three teams that are left in the competition all of the games would be difficult and I think um, all three teams are very strong um, Dublin are an excellent team and it's been a long time since Cork um, have beaten them in a championship game so yeah we I think especially when we left in two goals against Armagh that would be something that we need to work on tighten up in the back especially with those players that you've mentioned yeah no assuming you're starting and assuming those Dublin players are starting like is there any one particular player I mean there really probably isn't like I mean there's a quality player you're going to be marking a quality forward no matter what and Dublin tend to sh- switch their positions during the games anyway but as a defender I mean like th- this is the ultimate test because you're going to have to be I suppose physically ready but mentally I would imagine playing Dublin you've got to be on it for the full 60 plus minutes. Yeah even Semple Stadium is a big pitch so there will be a lot of space and um I think we'll need to try and close off that space just as much as they'll have to try and close off ours. So any player that you go out to mark at this latter stage of the championship is difficult anyways. So you just kind of have to focus on your own game as well. How much do you look forward to big days like this, Laura? I mean, you've played in Crow Park before, you've played in big stadiums, but playing in Semple Stadium, big doubleheader, a lot of eyeballs on it on, live on television as well. A lot of attention, obviously, you're doing media like this now in the build-up to it. But are these the kind of days that make all those gym, gym Monday evenings and training sessions worth it? Yeah, look, these are the ends that you'd want to be in. Again, like you said earlier, we weren't in this position this time last year. Um, we haven't been in an All-Ireland final until twenty since 2020. So I think everyone has nerves, but it's the same for both teams and you just kind of have to um, take it on the chin, really. Yeah, you're 
believe it or not, one of the more experienced players on this panel, such as the influx of youth over the last 12 months. Do you find yourself offering advice to some of the younger players that have come on, especially in that defensive six, which seems quite settled at the moment now over the last couple of games, but there's still a lot of competition for places. But you've probably noticed it more so than I or anyone else on that panel in those training sessions. Like Very successful underage Cork setup is delivering more and more young players every year. Yeah, exactly. Like how many minors came in from last year? Um, even like Rachel Leahy now, who's injured, unfortunately, she was on it last year when she was still minor. So not even myself giving advice to them, you'd almost be listening to what they're saying as well, because their opinion is just as valuable. They've almost as much experience underage um, winning with the Cork minors and things. So um, I think the fact that we're all learning from each other and working together is really good this year. Brilliant. Um, on Saturday evening, the TG Cahar All-Ireland Senior Football Championship semi-final between Cork and Dublin at Semple Stadium as part of a double letter throw-in at 7.30pm from everybody here on Cork's Red FM Speak Red Bench. Laura Manny, we wish you and your entire panel the very best of luck. Thanks very much, sir. Now, thrilled to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by Cork and Donny's LGFA senior footballer uh, Melissa Duggan ahead of Cork and Dublin's TG Cahar All-Ireland Senior Football Championship semi-final next Saturday evening at Semple Stadium as part of a doubleheader. Melissa, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are things? I'm good, thanks. Um, thank you for having me on the Big Red Bench tonight. Excellent stuff. Um, it's a big match, obviously, that's coming up the biggest of the season. But before we talk uh, about uh, the dubs and taking on the dubs in an all Ireland semi-final, how have preparations been going uh, since you last were on the pitch against Armagh? You've had a pretty uh, intense time, I would imagine, in, in terms of training sessions. But how have things gone for the panel ahead of this uh, this big match? Yeah, I suppose um, they've been going good. Um, I suppose last uh, weekend in Armagh was a long weekend. It was a long trip for us. Um, we went up to Friday night um, and obviously we had the game session and down session night and it was a late one. Uh, we weren't back until half one. They were there about around the Manway. So it was a long weekend for us, um, definitely. But um, we've regrouped now again this week and um, all focus is on Dublin, as you said. Uh, we're playing them in Simple Stadium and um, we're looking forward to the challenge and um, I suppose we'll be getting ready for the jobs and seeing what way we'll set up against them. Yes, and you just mentioned beating Armagh in the Boxit Athletic Grounds above an Armagh, a, huge, a very, very long journey from Cork, obviously, but the fact that you were able to make an overnight stop near Dundalk the night before, thanks to the county board. How important was that, Melissa, just for off the pitch, not a mind on the pitch, but an opportunity for the team to sit down and chat and bond and prepare and to have that night together before you took on Armagh? How important was that? Um, it was definitely uh, it was hugely important um, for the team that we we were able to stop up in Dundalk um, before the game uh, the night before the game and um, in fairness to the county board they had everything set up for us so you know the players only have to have to really be on the bus for 3pm at Rochestown and we didn't have to worry about a single thing um, in fairness to our management and the county board they sorted everything for us um, I didn't even know where we were even stopping. You know, it was that everything was so organised for us. You know, um, for as a player, you really only had to do was sit back and relax on the bus and talk with your with the girls and everything like that. And you know, the food and the meetings and everything, physio and everything was organised for us. And you know, we had everything, and it, it just really helped because um, sometimes when you're so far away from home, it can be quite unsettling, especially the night before a game. But um, 
in fairness, we had everything we wanted, uh, anything we needed, we uh, we were given. And it was just a great opportunity for us to, um, I suppose, stay away together and, you know, um, uh, have the bit of crack on the bus and uh, go for your walks and everything like that. So it was a great opportunity to be able to stay off definitely. And I think it definitely helped us for the game on Saturday because we were definitely a bit more refreshed. Yeah, yeah, and it, it was evident the way you played as well. It wasn't an easy game by any means because, like uh, Armagh, obviously Division Two champions, the Mackins and everybody that plays with them, a very, very good Armagh team. What kind of boost though was it, Melissa? You know, getting over a team like Armagh on their home ground after all the travelling and coming back down to Cork um, again. Yeah, it was. It, I think it meant so much to the girls. You know, like some some of us were even reduced to tears. It meant that much to us. Um, like obviously we got knocked out at that stage of the competition last year so like that was at the back of everybody's mind and I think that played a huge factor in maybe um getting the win um against um uh, who like stayed with us right up until the end so you know we didn't want to get knocked out at the same um like time of the year as we did last year and you know that had a huge effect on us last year and we were just so determined to get over this stage of the competition because when you're within the last eight the teams are so close together anybody it could be anybody's day um so Armagh put it up against us and you know we were um in such a close um entire game right up until the uh, the 60th minute and um it I think it'll give the girls a huge boost of confidence that you know we were able to come away um with the win in the end and um you know, going forward to Dublin, you know, uh, it will give us confidence and strength that uh, we can, you know, play close, tight games. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, the fact that you got such a test from Armagh will stand to you because when you get step out onto that simple stadium pitch, standing across from me will be a Dublin team that beat you earlier on in the year in the legal uh, Lidl LGFA National League in parking in a very high-scoring encounter. I don't know how much stock you can put in that because it was so long ago, but you know this Dublin team very well, Melissa, from playing them down through the years. You know the types of talent that they've got. And as a defender, it's going to be, one of, it's going to be your toughest test of the year. But there's a bit of momentum behind Cork and the fact that it's at a fantastic stadium and pitch like Semple Stadium, that's something for you to look forward to and hopefully try and enjoy. Yeah, definitely. I I don't think we've ever played in Simple Stadium before, so we are definitely looking forward to um, playing in a new stadium, playing on, on a new pitch. So it's fantastic that they've brought the semi-finals there for the two semi-finals to go ahead there, and I'm sure um, it'll be a fantastic um, day out for everybody, for supporters and for non-supporters as well. Um, uh, Dublin are a serious kind. Of, team uh we've played them we haven't played them too many times in recent times but i suppose we know the quality of the forwards that they have um the likes of carla Rowe, uh hannah Cyril, you know kate sullivan you know those are serious forwards and they're capable of shooting from anywhere and they have power behind them so um we'll have a tough um tough task um us as defenders but uh we're really looking forward to the opportunity um, to play Dublin, uh, you we really wanted to play them in a. I suppose we played them in the league, but you know it was a goal fest that day. It'll be a much probably tighter um, game uh, next weekend, but um, we're you know we're we're looking forward to the opportunity and we're going to do everything that we can to have a good system to try and beat them. 
Excellent stuff on Saturday night in Semple Stadium as part of a doubleheader of the TG Carr All-Ireland Senior Football Championship semi-finals. Cork take on Dublin and everybody here on the Big Red Bench and in Cork Shire FM, Melissa, we wish you and your Cork team and the backroom team all the best against the Dubs. Thank you very much. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Now, aside from the uh, Cork LGFA under 16A team which head into this week's all Ireland under 16A replay against Cavan, which has now been moved to the Gaelic grounds in Limerick on Friday night. The very, very best of luck to Kieran O'Shea and the entire squad in that game. Um, we were live in Clara and County awfully not so long ago at a venue that look just wasn't up to scratch. It's great now that the Cork players are getting an opportunity and the Cavan players and their supporters getting a chance to play an All Ireland final at a fantastic stadium and venue like the Gaelic grounds is befitting of the occasion and the players that will be taking place. Just a word too for the Cork under 16 Camogie team that also play an All Ireland Championship this weekend. The very best of luck to them as well and we'll try and catch up with them both of those sides next week. We've just heard there now from the Cork Senior set up Laura Manny, Melissa O'Duggan, Laura Manny for Dublin Ross and Melissa Duggan from Donnie's. And uh, quite a lot of club action before the club championship obviously gets into full gear. Um, the county league finals, a lot of them were played over the last uh, number of weeks. We begin with the Division 1 Cork LGFA County League final between reigning champions Air Oak and Glanmire and it was the Ovens Club that came out on top defeating Glanmire 3-8-2-1 amid some pretty awful weather conditions in Ballinlock recently uh, Emer Scally, Isabel Sheehan, Laura Cleary and Orla Kremen played very well for the winners and Evie Toomey, Eva Fitzgerald and Abby O'Mani uh, stood out for a battling Glanmire now you can find a full match report from that Division 1 County League final uh, by Rory Noonan on echolive.ie but on the day itself Emer Scally weighing in with 3 points for the winners, Orla Kremen with 2 goals goals. Maeve McGoldrick won two. Laura Cleary with two points and Marie O'Leary also with a point and for Glenmire. Both their goals came from Evie Toomey and Evie Fitzgerald with Abby O'Mahony weighing in with a point. So well done to Aerog retaining their Division 1 title um, and well done to Glenmire for getting there uh, and putting up a good fight despite the poor weather conditions as I said. Now the Cork LGFA Division 2 County League final saw Nave Abon uh, confirm promotion to the top tier for 2024. The Balavorni Club needed three goals though to see off West Cork uh, rival, club uh, Ross Carberry ladies in what was a very very entertaining game the Division 2 final itself also had to be moved to kill the mattress grounds last Saturday with the eventual winners gaining the upper hand during the opening half Neva Vaughan led 1-6-2 with the break and kept Ross Carberry at arm's length in the second period before running out 3-9 to not 7 winners been a fantastic run that Neva Vaughan have been on in recent times Junior A County Champions uh, Munster Champions are going all the way to the All-Ireland final they're a team to watch certainly in this year's Championship on the night of the Division 2 County League final, um, from Ross Carberry's point of view, Sandra Donahue, Kira Hooley, Megan Hayes and Maeve Kingston uh, played for, uh, got some of those Ross Carberry scores. And despite that loss, it's been a good year for the West Cork Club because they've won six of their seven divisional fixtures before coming up short, as we said, to Neva Vaughan. And on the night for Neva Vaughan, Grace Murphy top scored uh, for the new league champions with 2-3. Lydia McDonough with 1-1. Rosa Corkery with three points. Isolt O'Reardon and Colleen feeling uh, with a point each and look we mentioned Neva Vaughan there as well look they proved worthy winners on on as we said on the on the day but um, used, they, they needed Isolt O'Donovan they needed Una Tuig Mirren Deneen and Amy McDonough 
to help them capture another trophy. And uh, what's interesting is that these two teams, Neva Vaughan and Ross Carberry Ladies, will meet once again in Group 1 of this year's Cork LGFA Intermediate County Championship. Our Glen Desmond's Bui are the third team in that group, whereas on the opposite side of the intermediate draw of Andala, Dunamore, Glenmire and Valley Rovers will make up Group 2. That's going to be a fascinating group, and we're going to talk about that championship in a lot more detail near the time. But well done to Neva Vaughan. Um, Again, their upward curve continuing a fantastic result there for the Balavorni Club. <clears throat> now, uh, Carrigaline, uh, congratulations to them. They lifted the County League Division 3 title with a 3-11-2-10 win over West Cork Club Bantry Blues um, in that particular final. Another club, uh, the Carrigaline Ladies Football Club, emulating their men's team are going quite well as well in their own County League uh, uh, in recent weeks. An all-West Cork Division 4 County League final pitted Tyke McCorrig and Bandon against one another in Cora. The Lily Whites were expected to push the favourites and so it proved with only two points separating the sides at the end. Cora recovered from a seven-point first-half deficit to change ends uh, level at 1-8 apiece and a marvellous second half saw Cora hold off their opponents, as we said, to edge the result 2-14-2-12. Ellen Hurley scored eight points for the winners with Kate McCarthy getting 1-1, Jennifer Collins getting a goal, Aaliyah O'Sullivan with two points, and Maureen Keating, Rachel Crowley and Helena Collins also getting on the Tyke McCorrig score sheet. As for Bandon, uh, they contributed much to a terrific final with Kate McLaughlin scoring 1-5, Emma Tarrant getting 1-1 and Rachel O'Donovan and Ava Long each scoring three points each. Um, a Division 4 league final uh, represents the best possible build-up for this Tyke McCorrig team and ahead of their upcoming Junior B County Championship. They've been drawn in Group 1 alongside Bishopstown, Courtney Rovers and Nemo Rangers and they'll be eager to get off to a good start in that. Now we move down further to Division 6 and well done to another West Cork club. Clannagale were awarded for their positive season with a victory over Ballonhasic 3-5 to 1-9 um, in this year's league decider and five wins from seven fixtures. Saw that West Cork club finish second and overcome the top team Ballonhasic in the final. So well done to them. And down further again to the Division 7 County League final which was played last weekend. Glanworth edging a really high scoring encounter 5-12 to 4-8 over Iban Ladies. And uh, a strong Glanworth lineup that just proved too strong in the end. Well done to them. As for the runners-up, Roisin Ivukla and Kira DC each scored 1-2. Orla DC and Eleanor Reardon got a goal apiece also with Grace Tobin three points and Evie McHugh as well uh, on the Iban score sheet. So there's a roundup of all the recent County League finals. Well done to all the winners. Commiserations to all the runners-up. And as we said, it won't be long now in the coming weeks and months before we turn our attention towards this year's Cork LGFA County Championships and we'll be following that here on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench Podcast at redfm.ie Cork's Red FM. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to offer us her expert opinion on all things rugby and review all the latest provincial, clubs, schools and adult results, scorers and upcoming fixtures. Plus, we have all the latest Munster Rugby and International Rugby news making the headlines. Now, it's that time of the week again where we look at all the latest news across the province of Munster when it comes to women's rugby so there's nobody else we can talk to or turn to other than our resident expert, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, Wendy, how are you? I'm great, Jared. Thanks a million. Uh, yet again, there's no action on the field as of yet, but there's so many headlines uh, to, to talk about. I suppose the big headline over the past week is that the Munster squad has been named for the upcoming Vodafone Women's Interprovincial Championships. Lots of interest in this um, and what was going to happen with the Munster setup um, and what Neil Briggs was going to do. And we've got a lot of names and we've got a lot of new names as well, Wendy. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's great to see it. I suppose, look, it, we've been waiting for it now for, I suppose, a couple of weeks to see what would happen. And just the time of recording, it just came out just in time for us, year. So 32 players have been named in the squad. She's keeping it extended and she's keeping some, you know, girls involved that might necessarily make match day squad. But um, it's that's a really good idea for the development of players um, for those. Um, Nicola Ronan is staying on as captain and Dorothy Wall will be the, the back row player as vice captain. That's the same as last year and then there's 24 players are retained from last season and we've got nine uncapped players and some of these I'm going to name them out because I think it's a great achievement you know what I mean to see these nine girls coming through you're going to recognize some of the names because hmm. we have talked about them on the podcast one of them we've actually spoken to on the podcast so uh in alphabetical order Abby Salter Townsend as you will know from Skibbereen but we saw her play with UL Bowls last season Ellen Boylan from Carrick, um, unsure, but she plays at Black Rock now because she's in college in Dublin. Jane Clossy from UL Bowes. Beth Bottomer from Carrick, unsure, Thurless. We were just spoken about Beth playing with Ireland um, under 18s. Aoife Flynn from UL Bowes. Michelle O'Driscoll, Skibbereen, Stroke Ballon Colleague. We know she's a dual status player. Avian Hassey from Ennis. Kira McLaughlin from UL Bowes and Kira O'Dwyer from UL Bowes. So great, isn't it, to see nine players um, you know, coming through as you mentioned there, Nia uh, Briggs being the uh, head coach assisted by Fee Hayes. But I also want to mention the the assists that they're getting in the background from Munster Rugby, from the academy and the development staff. So you have Ian Costello, Ian Keatley, Tommy O'Donnell and Sean Cronin also um, working with the players in the background there. So um, fabulous. Look, we wish them the best of luck. The 12th won't be long coming around. And just to mention that the tickets are on sale for the Connacht match and that's in Musgrave Park on the 19th of August. Always pushing the tickets. Brilliant stuff, Wendy. Yes, and you can find information on that on the monsterrugby.ie website. Just to go back to something you said there, um, the quality of the coaching panel this year, and I'm not just talking about likes of Ian Keatley and Sean Cronin. We know what Neve Briggs brings to the table, um, but Fiona Hayes, uh, in with her as assistant coach, as well, is very important for the coming season. Another strong voice and a very experienced quality coach in there as well. But the fact that you've Tommy O'Donnell and the fact that you've Ian Keatley and the fact that you've head of rugby operations overseeing all of this, Ian Costello, there's a lot of very experienced men and women looking after a very big squad. How important is that when you're out on the pitch? Not so much when you're not on the pitch and when you're with your club, but when you're in the Munster environment, Wendy, how important is it to have that kind of experience, especially for the nine development players that are going to train with the squad as well? I mean, we're talking about really experienced ex-professional players, but also now professional coaches, you know, Ian Classelow being one of the top names of Munster Rugby. And it's really important for the girls' development so that they, you know, there's so much expectation with them and now that they're going for three in a row. Um, as a player, the physical demands um, are really important, even from a sports psychology point of view. You know, all that backroom staff play a role in all that, in the preparations and also in the skill development of each of the individual players like Sean Cronin and himself. And, you know, we've seen him on the television and what he can do. Um, you know, they bring all that wealth of experience with them. I know Niamh and Fee have walked the walk. You know, they've talked the talk. They've huge experience in coaching as well. But the the others, you know, add an extra dimension to all of that. And they're also a new voice. You know, mm. sometimes it can be hard if you've been listening to the same voice for two or three years. You need a new voice coming in. You certainly do, and it's no harm. But considering we talked about, and it's, you've given a very astute uh, example there of how good that coaching uh, team is. We mentioned this fact that there's nine uncapped players, but there's 24 now that were involved in last year's championship winning squad, and there's five of the current squad that were involved in this year's Women's Six Nations Championship. If we talk about standards and we talk about hitting the hitting the heights and the process and everything involved, 
Monster are the champions. Everybody's going to have a target on their back so they know what's coming. They've got to up it yet again, Wendy, it goes without saying. But does the fact that you've got so many players in that squad now fighting for places, that helps the process because it gives Nave and it gives Fiona a chance to look at everybody, maybe not just for this season, but we'll know you next season. And that continuity and that level and that bar being raised year after year, defending the Interprovincial Championship is a hell of a lot harder than actually going and winning it if you're an outsider. But this team has got enough experience, you would imagine, to get that job done. Oh, completely. And, and and if we look at the players and we talk about uncapped players, they're uncapped monster seniors. Some of them have played for Ireland under 18 already. So they're coming with that expectation with them, that expectation of high intensity training. They will be challenging, challenging the girls, um, you know, for their places. You know, we see Beth Bottomer coming through. She's played two years now at uh, under 18. You'll see really on, you know, probably the latter stage of her career in the front row. And, you know, she's going to be tested. They're going to put it up to her, those girls. You know, they have, you know, the physical um, preparations done for over the last couple of years to make the step up to adult rugby. And um, that means a training. Training is more physical. You know what I mean? There's, a, you know, it brings another standard to it. It brings another expectation to it. And uh, and with competition comes better performances. Look, I mean, the big match really probably is going to be the Leinster game. Uh, you know, Leinster, you know, haven't been defeated by Munster twice last year. You know, They'll see this as a cup final. They certainly will. And we wish uh, Neve Briggs and Fiona and everybody in the development team, but especially all those players. I'm just going to give a quick mention to the development players that have been named. The nine players, Quiva Barry, Lily Morris, Amy Kelly, Saskia Witcherly, Grony Burke, Chisholm, Ugwu, Eru, apologies if I've butchered that, Holly O'Sullivan, Emily O'Regan and Rebecca Rogers. Big moment for them as well, stepping up into the senior uh, Munster Interprovincial Challenge. And of course, the vote of one women's in the provincial championship, uh, which will take place over four successive weekends from August the 12th until September the 2nd. Details on MunsterRugby.ie um, and also details about how to get tickets, as Wendy mentioned earlier, for that Connacht game in Musgrave Park on August 19th. And we need a huge amount of fans to come out and support this team on that date. You can buy tickets. There's a link to that on the MunsterRugby.ie website. From the interprovincial senior squad, we now move to the under 17 and under 18 Munster squads who played a couple of warm up matches last week. And Wendy, and more good positive news coming from these, these two groups. Yeah, we spoke about a touring uh, American academy that were coming to play um, some of the boys and girls development uh, panels in Feathered last Saturday, Feathered Town Park. So they took place. They were they are important matches because for our under 18s it's the warm up for the interprovincial series, which will kick off um, in August. Oh, in August, it was mixed fortunes. The under 17 had a great win over the opponents, and the under 18 girls lost out. Just in the last play of the game, unfortunately, but to a strong um, era academy side. But look, it gives the coaches, you know what I mean, a real opportunity to look at the players. The players were tested in their positions. So that helps with the selection process as well. Um, some very big performances from a few of the under-18 girls. And I believe some of them, one or two of them, might even be brought into the under-18 training squad ahead of the Interpros. Um, so that... That ends, I suppose, the development program, the summer program for the under-17 girls. Um, the under-18s are on a down week this week now and they'll be back in training again next week. Excellent stuff. And look, as you said, look, it's been, you know, summer's nearly gone. I don't want to wish it away. No, and I know you don't either. But I mean, at the end of this particular development program, that's a very positive thing as well that a couple of players have been seen, seen in a, in a, in a, in a competitive environment, as, as competitive as it could have been, and now offered the chance to go on. And it's that pathway that you keep talking about, Wendy, to us here on the Big Red Bench. How important that is that the players that are being spotted early are being given additional chances to move up a, a level if they know that they're able for it. 
Yeah, and I mean, we've spoken about it at length here in one of the episodes that, um, you know, the under 18s and the under 17s were training in the same venue at the same time. So, I mean, you have 16 year olds, 15 year olds training with that under 17 um, squad, looking at the under 18s that are going ahead to the interpros, you know, they're role models for those girls. They'll want the opportunity to play in that red jersey. And, um, you know, so, so some really exciting players coming through, just a little bit young yet to, to move up into an interpro squad. But, um, yeah, they, you know, I mean, it's just, it, and again, they're experiencing that high level of coaching, the high level of expectation, you know, information around, you know, SNC work, information around nutrition, about match preparation and video analysis. They do a lot of video analysis work as well. So, um, yeah, so look, a lovely environment for any young girl for part of the summer. And you might say, why are they finishing up? Because their clubs are starting up this week. Um, if you can see it on social media, a lot of the training is starting tonight, tomorrow night, um, to get them in preparation, you know what I mean, for the season to start in September. So um, that's why they're being released back to their clubs. Indeed they are. And we're looking forward to that because come September, we're going to have a lot more rugby and a lot more names to talk about week on week. Can't wait for that. Uh, we move from the interprovincial setup in Munster to the Irish women's under 18 sevens and the Sevens Championship that was held recently. Yeah, just last weekend actually in Prague, um, saw the under eighteen sevens championship coached by Katie Bithenry. We mentioned Katie's uh, name a lot involved at the Irish um, level. Level. So the players were selected from the recent under eighteen sevens into pro series. So twelve players were selected, and I'm delighted to say we had three from Munster: Katrina Finn from Ballina Killaloo's Drug UL Bowls. Um, Lindsay Clark from Ennis and Niamh Crotty from Dolphin. Um, Niamh is the daughter of Dominic Crotty, who would have played for Munster um, for quite a while. So I'm sure he's delighted to see his daughter playing in that Irish jersey. Um, so Ireland had a strong win over Poland in the opening match, um, but were narrowly defeated by England in their second match, 26-20. But finished that day, um, their first day, defeating Belgium 40-0. Great win there. Day two saw a defeat to France, but wins over Belgium 29-14 and Scotland 43-5. And, and um, they didn't meet the, the semi-final stage, but at the end of that tournament, they've been ranked in fifth position. So um, a great tournament, a great experience for the girls. Again, experiencing high-level coaching, the high-performance environment, wearing the green jersey, and they'll go back out to their clubs now with a lot more experience after the summer. Brilliant. And well done to the Munster girls there, as you said. And, um, you know, Sevens Rugby is very, very prominent, both male and female, in, in Irish rugby right now. And it's great to see that the uh, under up to fifth uh, ranking like that is, uh, is no small feat in what sounds like a very, very competitive competition. We finished this week with news that the University of Limerick is going to host the 2023 Tag Rugby World Cup. Okay, Wendy, off you go. Explain this to me. <laughs> yeah, so look, you know, Tag has been huge in Ireland for, for quite a number of years. I think I... I played for about 15 years myself um, with the tag, you know what I mean? And it's great. And just to show the opportunities that's given to to the females, there's five categories for women that they can play in. So they can play in the mixed, the women's 21s, the women's open, the women's seniors, which is 30 plus, and the women's 40s. So um, lots of opportunity there for, you know, girls to get into an Irish jersey, a tag rugby um, they've just named all their squads so hopefully next week I'll have um, a couple of names for us I know a few of them a few of the girls and I'm absolutely delighted some of them I would have seen you know from a young age getting involved in tag and now to see them wearing a green jersey is you know it's, it's just lovely to see it really and uh, we wish them the very best of luck they would have played in the British and Irish Cup earlier in June that would have been a good preparation for them so that's in UL next week um, the 2nd to the 5th and tickets are available online so uh 
you know, if you're interested in going along and seeing some, I mean, it's very exciting rugby. It certainly sounds like it. Over 17 different nations taking part and work noting as well, as you said there, that tickets are free uh, for anybody that's in the University of Lake. Fantastic complex to hold uh, a competition of that size and of that magnitude. We wish everybody good luck in the uh, Tag World Cup from the Ireland's point of view. And we'll have news of that next week as well. But for now, once again, Wendy Keenan with all the latest uh, for, Munster, for Munster Women's and Irish International Women's news. We'll talk to you again next week on The Big Red Bench. Thanks a million, Jerry. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM. Resident Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me on the Big Red Bench to discuss all the latest on and off-track Formula 1 headlines around the 2023 season. You can find more of Sarah McKenzie Foley's expert Formula 1 analysis on her active social media accounts on YouTube, Sarah McKenzie F1, Instagram, MacGram underscore, and on Twitter, MacTweets. Underscore. Now, delighted to join fresh from the Red FM studios, uh, where she starred this past weekend uh, doing live updates on the Hungarian Grand Prix for Corkshire FM. It's our resident Big Red Bench and Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley. Sarah, you're very welcome back to the Women in Sport podcast. How are you? I'm great. That's a lovely intro. Thank you very much. <laughs> I did enjoy your Instagram reels. I'd encourage people to go and check them out. Uh, I love the way it started with you making coffee there. I know I, I was immediately brought to the Red FM studios because that's the first thing that happens when you go in there. You have to drink coffee. <laughs> um, you enjoyed the experience of seeing how the big red bench was put together, I would imagine, in the flesh because it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting experience, to put it mildly. Yeah, absolutely. Really interesting to see it, you know, all go together start to finish and and sort of see from the other side of the desk, as it were. Um, and yeah, Rory was brilliant. And I suppose he's a, a very much a seasoned pro at this stage, so he made it look easy. But I think it's uh, safe to say they have a particular set of skills in there, which is which is really cool. Oh, they do. And we don't have time to go on about their other set of skills. But yes, you're <laughs> right. Rory is certainly seasoned and experienced. I see him more in the Echo newspaper these days than I do uh, inside in the studios, such as his running career <laughs> taking off. But that's for a whole other podcast. Let's focus on why you're here, and that's to review, first of all, the Hungarian Grand Prix, which was won by Max Verstappen. Um, pretty straightforward after the first bend. Uh, Lando Norris coming in second for McLaren, and Sergio Perez coming through the field for a much-needed third place. Lewis Hamilton in fourth, and Oscar Piastri in fifth in the other McLaren. Let's start with Lewis Hamilton, Sarah, because it wasn't the best of starts. Um, it's rare that you hear a Formula 1 driver as well coming on the intercom on the radio pretty shortly after dropping from first down to fourth and apologising. So he was pretty clear yeah. that this was not technically, uh, it wasn't a technical fault, it was a, it was a driver error. Very rare f- from Lewis Hamilton, but very costly in that first corner. Yeah, absolutely. I think I appreciated that he owned up to it. You know, it, it was, he got bogged down, didn't connect the second phase of, of the, the start and... It's it is frustrating, I think, because he'll know. I mean, how he's been on one hundred and four, you know, P ones in the podium and or in the the grid, and he knows how to get this right, and he just didn't. You know, it's been over a year since he'd started from pole position, so I think definitely unfortunate. I don't know that. I think it it probably would have been, you know, a, a stronger race, a less. Uh, a less challenging race if he had been able to stick closer to the top there but you also you know you have to really applaud the the two McLarens as well for how they got off the start particularly Oscar Piastri I actually think to be honest I think he was hard done by not getting a podium I really did I felt uh, I felt a lot of disappointment for him because he he really put it all together and was sort of disadvantaged by the pit stops 
and the choices that the team made there. But yeah, I think Lewis Hamilton maybe caught off guard by a, a bit of rustiness there starting from pole position. Yeah, because once Max passed him, look, there was only going to be one outcome um, and it was just mm. the ease at which he did it. But then it was the ease at which the McLarens overtook um, what looked at a pretty neat Mercedes towards the end of the race um, and seemed to find a bit of pace. Just one last thing on Hampton, because Sarah, I know he's your favourite driver and I love picking at him. But um, mm-hmm. he just seemed timid in terms of, uh, I mean, at least George Russell was kind of moving very, very close. Like anyone that overtook George Russell had to earn it. Now, I'm not saying that other mm. cars didn't against Hamilton, but he was, like Russell, I remember going wheel to wheel with Perth at one stage and they were very close, himself and Checo, not actually hitting. Yeah. But there was a, a boisterousness, there was a kind of a, a venom about Russell and, you know, he, he accepted the car that was overtaking was a bit faster, but he put up a fight. I didn't see that from Hamilton. Hamilton was slick and fast like he normally is, but it just seemed a bit of the fight seemed to have gone out of him. Am I wrong? I think Lewis is really confused by this car because he called Friday one of the worst Fridays he's ever had. And that isn't the first time he said that this year either. And then out of seemingly nowhere on Saturday, he pulls out this absolute winner of a lap to put him on pole position. And then I think he really didn't know what to expect from the car in the race. And unfortunately for him, with the heavy fuel load, as you said, he didn't find pace really until the end of the race. You know, he was chasing down... Sergio Perez and I think he would have caught him if he hadn't run out of laps but as you say he didn't look confident until later in the race and I really don't think he knows what this car is going to give him at any given time and I think for a driver who you know similar to your Ayrton Senna your uh, your Fernando Alonso likes to be at one with the car they talk about this like oneness with the machinery I really think he's just not gelling with this W14 and I think that's why you see such swings in performance because he just, I don't think he's confident that if he goes full out, that the car is going to be able to make it to the end uh, or is even going to give him back what he's expecting. So I think that that accounts for for a lot of what you saw over the course of the weekend. Yeah, and I I think that's a very astute assessment, assessment, not just of the weekend, but of the season as a whole. You're right, he's just not in mm. tune with that car. And when he is, he's such a dangerous and fantastic driver. It's just, I just, I, I like to see, like, at least with Russell, he knows what he has as well, but he was putting up a fight. And it's just with Hamilton, like you said, that Friday, which I hadn't heard that comment now, um, is very interesting. Mm. One driver who is at one uh, with Adrian Newey probably more than the car that he's driving <laughs> is uh, the runaway championship leader and reigning world championship Max Verstappen and a record-setting weekend for Red Bull and the Dutch driver, Sarah. Yeah, incredible. I mean, he didn't necessarily have a lot to do, but at the same time, you know, he finished with a 33-second gap. That was the biggest gap since Lewis Hamilton had won the Russian Grand Prix in 2021. And... You just, it's a rocket ship. You know, he said it, we've all seen it. I mentioned this on on the Bigger Adventure the weekend, but if you saw the changes in the aerodynamics, you know, there were pictures came out of the upgrades to the Red Bull this weekend, and we're all just sort of in awe of, of what Adrian Newey is creating. And of course, when you put a driver in there that is very talented and very quick and aggressive and knows how to win, it's just, it's the perfect combination. And I think absolutely oneness with the car is, um, I don't think it's essential for Verstappen, but I think you could, you can see the impact that it has when he's got it. And yeah, he's just, you know, I mean, no one's going to catch him, right? No. Our hope now at this point is that one, 
non-Red Bull win ha- happens at all this season. That is the the sort of dying hope. I think uh, even Red Bull fans, I think, would like to um, would like to even see some some shake up. But uh, yeah, he's just far and away the best out there. I've not seen this level of dominance since Schumacher was in a Ferrari since Mansell back in the day. I think Nigel Mansell when he was going on the track and certainly Alain Prost in the McLaren and then Senna. When Senna was dominating, um, you, know, you knew who was going to win the race. The combination of Adrian Newey and Max Verstappen developing into a world-class driver is a lovely thing to watch, but it's getting boring. And like you said, mm-hmm. it's very hard to attract the neutral fan when you know who's going to win the race before it even starts. Um, mm-hmm. And just the dominance, as you said, I just wonder... I really wonder, will Mercedes bridge that gap? Have they got all this? I know they've been concentrating on the new car, but they're so far behind McLaren. I don't know. They have, do, does McLaren, and remember, it's McLaren's record that they beat as well uh, this past weekend. That's right, yeah. So I just wonder. I wonder, will we see the same thing next year? Will it be as dominant? And one of the things we might see next year, though, Sarah, um, even though we know Max is going to win the World Championship, is will we see Checo in in that second seat uh, for Red Bull. He certainly didn't do his uh, prospects any harm this weekend, but he had to deliver this weekend. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was a man on a mission, truly, this weekend. Um, you know, at least on Sunday, he, he really came out and, you know, put his flag in the ground and said, I, I'm still here. I can still do it. And he did have to fight his way up up the um, the rankings, you know, and he achieved that. And I think it was a well-deserved podium, to be fair. I think a lot of things went came together for him. You know, they had a 1.2 or 1.9, uh, sorry, second pit stop for Perez during the race. That's absolutely world-class, you know, and I think everything just came together for him in the race. And I, I think he, as you said, it's badly needed, especially because Daniel Ricciardo did actually come out and perform really well on his return. So if Checo had had another poor weekend and Daniel Ricciardo had had a positive one, as he did, I think that would have been, I think that would have been really damaging. I mean, people were talking about it already in, mm. on Friday when Checo came out and crashed in the first five minutes of practice. Everyone thought it was game over. That's Daniel's seat. But I think we'll just have to wait and see. I don't know how much more fight Perez has in him, but he had a lot in him on Sunday, that's for sure. Um, the thing about Daniel Ricciardo as well, we don't know just yet just how quick or how you know, how well he's going, because he got shunted in that first corner by Zhu, I think it was. Um, so that kind of ruined the start of the race before it even began for him. But he did, he drove cleanly enough, I thought, but without any kind of, spe- I suppose the real thing for him was to just get the car home. And like coming in, Absolutely. you know, coming in 13th, he's been he's been declaring that he'd get a top 10 finish at some point. Mm-hmm. He didn't do anything particularly wrong, but I would love to have seen, obviously, if he hadn't been shunted in that first corner, had avoided, you know, had gone into the two Alpines, who knows? But I suppose from Ricardo's point of view, just very briefly, Sarah, it was a case of don't do anything stupid which he didn't he didn't he did he had a good weekend yeah. absolutely and you know he had that shunt to put him down to last which was p18 at the time and he brought himself back up to 13th which is where he had started and that's to be applauded as well because he was plumb last and he was behind by a, a solid amount and i think alpha terry showed some smarts in bringing him in for an extra pit stop which on the on the face of things you would think why would you do that? You're adding extra time to the race. But the tyres he had on previously just weren't working for him. And straight away when he put on that set of mediums again, he was back at it, back with the pace. So I think he'll have been really happy with uh, with his weekend. And just one other driver I wanted to pick on was Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari coming in in, a, um, 
in eight, or in seventh and ahead of Carlos Sainz Jr. Like the Ferraris looked again looked solid but not spectacular. They trailed the Mercedes and um, and the McLarens for much of the race. But there was a good pit strategy in that. I think Sainz um, or Leclerc got that. Leclerc, Leclerc was the faster driver in my opinion over the weekend. He got the jump on his teammate in, in the pit stops. But again, nothing spectacular. But another solid performance from the Ferrari. But they're still behind McLaren. They're still behind Mercedes. And it looks like that's the way it's going to be at the end of the season. Yeah, they they really have fallen to the back of that chasing pack for sure. You know, even even with the preferential pit stops for Leclerc, he still had a 9.4 second stop. You know, that pushed him down to P11. And I think underwhelming is probably the word that I would use to describe their race. I think it just didn't, it didn't really achieve a whole lot. And I think, you know, Leclerc then had his mistake of, of speeding in the pit lane and got a five second penalty for that. So it just looked a bit messy, really, um, unfortunately for Ferrari. Yeah, that pit stop mistake was or the coming in is just unforgivable, I know it, and, and that was really frustrating. But again, solid if unspectacular. That that's just just the way it is for Ferrari. And I, you know how I feel about that driver's lineup. I, I do believe it's time for a change. <laughs> Don't know if the people in the Ferrari uh, supporters club in Cork agree with me on that, but I do think a couple of hungry drivers in those seats would actually do better. But we'll have to wait and see. Experience at the moment is what Ferrari are going with between now and the end of the season. Final thing our group of people we're going to talk about from the Hungarian Grand Prix, Sarah, is McLaren. And rightly so, because it was another very, very positive weekend for both drivers. Absolutely. As I said earlier, you know, unlucky, I think, not to get that double podium with Norris and Piastri. They did decide to give Norris the first pit stop instead of Piastri, even though Piastri was the lead car. And I think, to be fair to Oscar, he took that without any argument. You know, he didn't come over the radio, you know, roaring at anyone. Like, he just, he's a very level-headed driver, and I think that's something that would be discussed afterwards. You know, he also has his uh, his manager is Mark Webber, who, as we know, is not afraid to voice his opinion. So I think he can rest easy that his, his opinions will be made known. But um, I think they did a fantastic job. And I think that they look very good as a sort of improving prospect for the rest of the year, certainly. You know, we're not going to probably see any more major upgrades, but I think that they look really solid. And I think that driver lineup is very promising. Yes, I think promising is, again, a very good astute uh evaluation of what McLaren are like it's it's two podiums out for for Norris and he looks like he's got the bit between his teeth in that particular car but as well I think it's fair to say as you rightly pointed out Piastri didn't do his his credentials any harm at all this weekend I thought he drove very very slickly held off George Russell as well as you said for a top five mm. finish and uh, that's no mean feat and he was uh, you know uh, uh, and again no mistakes took as you said took it on the chin when it came through the radio and just got on with it that's what you want from a teammate and uh, yeah I like the look of McLaren between here and the end of the season I think they're the only ones that are going to get anywhere close to Red Bull um, but we'll have to wait and see before we have a quick look ahead to the hung, uh, to the Belgian Grand Prix which is of course taking place at Spa-Francorchamps which is the next round of the uh, Formula 1 World Championship we have to obviously look at the standings number one Max Verstappen Red Bull enough said Perrett uh Closed the gap somewhat by coming, uh, as he did with the podium. He's still in second. Fernando Alonso hanging in there in third with his six podiums for the past season. And the two Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton leading Greg or George Russell, uh, running out the top five. The Constructors' Championship, yawn. Red Bull well out in front, 11 wins, 17 podiums. Mercedes ahead of Aston Martin now, finding another positive showing this past weekend. Uh, 223 points, Aston Martin 184. Ferrari on 167 in fourth. And McLaren uh, down in fifth on 87. We're not going to give a, an in-depth preview of uh, Spa-Francorchamps, Sarah, but just very briefly, who are the kind of drivers that this 
this track, this world famous track, even though there's been tragedy, uh, has struck again on it uh, this past year. But this mm. track, who, which kind of drivers does it suit? And maybe not necessarily the cars, but uh, apart from Max Verstappen, who's going to win, who else do you expect to have a good weekend or should have a good weekend if everything falls into place? I mean, Spa is a, as you mentioned, you know, it's a very dangerous place. And I think you have to be a driver that is a combination, like a really good balance of sort of aggressive, but also smart. I think you have to be really smart. And the level of concentration involved in driving around that track is absolutely huge. So I think you're looking to people like Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, I think George Russell, to be fair, you know, he tends to have a, a solid head in his shoulders. I think if he can get some pace together, I think... I think his only problem is that the the spa track doesn't really suit the W14 in its current format and they are also bringing upgrades Mercedes are this weekend so I think it will either be a really positive weekend or it'll be a weekend where they're just they have to put it down to experimentation. I think another big big weekend in coming for Daniel Ricciardo like okay you know you did a good job with your first trip back a lot of energy around you etc and you repeat that again and then be rewarded with with the summer break and we also have a sprint weekend again so i think there's just that that really difficult balance of attack and concentration is uh is the key so i think it's it's a big big test for for every driver out there really yeah, looking forward to it. It's always a fantastic visual when you're looking at Spa-Francorchamps. That's on Sunday, 30th of July, 2pm Greenwich Mean Time, the Belgian Grand Prix, the next round of the Formula 1 World Championship between here and then and afterwards as well. Where can we find all your fantastic Formula 1 expertise, Sarah? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I'll be live tweeting the race at MacTweets underscore and you can also find me on YouTube at Sarah McKenzie F1. Brilliant stuff. Looking forward to talking to you once again next week to review the Belgian Grand Prix. But for now, Sarah McKenzie Foley, Corks Red FM's resident Formula One expert. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, sir. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m., Cork's Red FM.